All right, welcome back to another episode of Backlash Podcast. I'm Jeff with Team Rhino Outdoors. If you want more information on my company, check out TeamRhinoOutdoors.com. Tonight, I have one co-host, Brad Hoppy from Muskie Mayhem Tackle. And if you want more information on his company, check out MuskieMayhemTackle.com. Our guest tonight is Kevin Pischke, Laying the Line Guide Service. Kevin is a guide out of Green Bay. Thanks for coming on tonight, Kevin. How are you doing? Not too bad. How are you guys doing? We're doing good, man. Good to have you on the show. Well, good to be here on this wonderful snowy November Sunday night. How much snow are you guys getting right now? I've probably got two inches on the ground in Green Bay already. Nice. Yeah, I think we, we over here in western Minnesota, we've got, I don't know, maybe an inch today, but kind of quit after that. So sounds like you guys are taking over for me. I'm, I'm kind of happy about that, actually. Well, just look at it this way. It's tracking snow, right? <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. It's deer on time. So, well, Brad, are you are you done fishing now? I uh, pretty much, yeah. Most of the lakes up here are starting to cap already. I'm sure some of the bigger water I haven't been out because I've been in a deer stand every day. But uh, our gun opener just started yesterday. But otherwise, I'd been bow hunting as well. Um, most of the small bodies water actually capped, reopened. And I'm guessing by tomorrow morning they're going to be capped because I think right now, if I can see the thermometer, it looks like it's nine degrees now. So I think a high of 13 for tomorrow. We're going to have a lot of ice soon. Right. Well, Kevin, how's Green Bay looking? You told me you were, before we started filming or whatever, recording, you said that you were out Friday. Correct. We were out Friday. What's the latest on Green Bay today? Do you think, I mean, I'm assuming guys can still fish today, maybe tomorrow, but I would imagine... How like how about Metro boat launch? Does that thing freeze up as quick as some of those other ones, or because there's some current there, is it going to stay open for a little bit yet? Uh, Metro will stay open for a little bit yet. You'll have like we had some you know shell ice, whatever you want to call it, Friday morning at Fox Point, but you know the water's moving on the river, and then at the mouth of the bay, obviously anything that's northeast, north or northwest is going to keep water moving, you know beyond the current. That yeah, you might have you know half inch of ice. 10, 15 feet off from the landing, but nothing you can't break apart with your trailer and get the boat in. Well, how about before we get too far into Green Bay, we talk a little bit about background. How about your background? What got you into musky fishing? Let's talk a little bit about your guide service. Why don't you tell everybody your, you know, your website, where they can find you, um, social media stuff. And then, so why don't you talk a little bit about background, talk about your, you know, your real job, because much like, you know, me and you both have other jobs other than the companies that we're associated with well uh you know my lay in the line guide service uh you can find it on you know the World Wide web lay in the line guide service.com and that name is actually kind of a spin on what i do for a living you can find me lay in the line guide service on facebook and kr Pishti on instagram uh and i you know i monitor those you know for communications pretty regularly yeah i actually do have a full-time gig i've been a firefighter for the last 24 years you know that was kind of the, the family side thing was my dad and uncle were both volunteer firefighters, fire chiefs, and I kind of pursued that uh, and or law enforcement at the same time and ended up landing the, the fire gig and been doing that, like I said, for 24, 25 years now. Been guiding the last 10, but we grew up fishing you know, from little on. Uh, we had a cottage in northern Ocala County in the Townsend Flowage. Had a Kirk right across the street from my house that I grew up at that I could walk over with my little Meps mini Comet 
and catch 24 to 36 inch northern all day long. So I've been you know fishing since I was a kid, but I really got the muskie bug probably 23, 24 years ago when I accidentally caught one just screwing around fishing for fun. And then, as we all know, once you get one, it's either, yeah, that was fun or the rest of your life is messed up. So that's where I'm at. And for most of us, the rest of our lives are messed up. Yep. Right. And I, I would recommend just, just quit. You know, when, when yeah. you get that big one, just run away. <laughs> if you're a new listener to the podcast, there's still hope for you. You can still run away. Do it. Run fast. <laughs> It's like the client that gets the 50 incher on his first day. You know what I mean? Just right. hang it, hang it up. You just made right. it happen. Go. <laughs> or, or the guy you finally convinced that for the last 20 years to come to your camp with you on his first day, you wax a 12 that you could fit a beach ball in between and you're like, yeah, right. dude, go home, sell that gun, go home. Exactly. Yep. What were you gonna say, Jeff? Yeah. Well, what was I gonna say about what? Well, I thought I, I thought I interrupted you there. Yeah, you didn't interrupt me. You're good. Nobody interrupts me. I'm just watching the Vikings and the Cowboys tonight. How's that going? Well, the Vikings are up 17-14 at halftime. Ooh. Mm-hmm. That's kind of a, yeah, who, who, do you, who do you not cheer for there? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I might be from Minnesota, but I've never been a Vikings fan, and I'm definitely not a Cowboys fan. Well, I'll, I'll fully admit, out of all the season ticket holders at Lambeau Field, I'm probably the least fan of them all. Not to go off on a tangent about football, because this is a fishing podcast, but... That's fishing, right, yeah. I think a lot of us probably feel the same way about sports these days. It's just not as important as it once was. You know, at one point in your life, when you're 20, 21, it probably meant a lot more than it does right now. Yep. You know, and then the, the whole fantasy football thing hit, and I kind of burnt it out. And, you know, there's nothing I still take back to being a kid. And, you know, it revolves around fishing in the brewers, listening to the brewers on the AM radio with Bob Euchre while we were out fishing in the boat. And there's just some days I'll even do that on the bay, like tune in, you know, or stream. The brewer came from the phone through the stereo on the boat, but that, you know, those things stick with you, though. That's always one of those memories that I had is, you know, Bob Euchre on the AM battery after radio and that 16-foot boat fishing with a bobber and a worm, having a blast. That's awesome. Well, speaking of memories... This season pretty much is a memory already. So, Kevin, why don't we talk a little bit about it? Let's talk about that. Let's talk about the future of Green Bay. How was your season on Green Bay this year? To sum up this season, and I think 99.9% of people would agree with me, it was weather dependent. We had some great fishing, but we had some high water issues, some muddy water issues, some big wind, flooding. Steve, that owns Toothy Tackles, if people don't know, he's real close to the Gano Beach launch, and his shop flooded 13 times this year. That high water really affected things. Short term, it dirty things up, and it you know would push the fish negative down the bottom. And kind of the long term is our weed growth has completely changed now. Where we had solid, beautiful weed lines five years ago with nine feet of water, we now have 13 feet of water and spots and clumps and patches of weeds. I was just over there, Kevin, here a couple of weeks ago. I watched Gano's actually get flooded. I, I've got a good friend that lives about 100 yards from there, and I've seen Toothy's garage just totally flooded. I, I feel for them guys. And we went up to Ocano, and we were watching waves literally cra- crash, like, all the way over top the vehicle. I mean, Gary, my buddy Gary that lives over there, he's like, oh, a free car wash, and he parks right up there, and we're just getting these waves. Like nine, ten foot in the air, just crashing on top of the truck. 
totally, totally crazy and berserk. And I know you've had a lot of eastern winds too, which is not typical of the bay as well. I'm worried about the spring. You know, if you get a bunch of snowfall this year, all that melt off is going to be more water. I, I don't know what these guys are going to do. Oh, we're, yeah, we're not done with the high water and the flooding that's forecasted through next year yet. And the problem we're going to have now is, you know, we didn't get snow on the ground with all this cold weather. So we, we're going to have frost settling in and everybody with seawalls, you know, rock walls, break walls, there's all that moisture in there. When that freezes, that's going to push. And in spring, when that's off, that stuff's going to heat. And we're going to have lots of damaged shorelines and, you know, eroded shorelines. But on top of that, you, you talk about that eastern wind and that northeast wind. And basically what happens is, you know, it siphons that water from around, you know, Death Door, the tip of Door County from Lake Michigan down into the lower bay. And it pushes that all down here. And that, you know, from Marinette, you know, Pesco, Cano, down to Gano, Suamico, that just pushes all that water right there. And people have not seen this flooding. I mean, we yeah. haven't seen it in our lifetime. You know, they talk about it. If you read back in history, that's, you know, it happened, uh, I think it was late 40s, 50s, where you had high water and destroyed a lot of the islands. But we've never had this before. And like I said, it's, there's, you know, it's affecting the fishing. You know, I feel guilty saying that because I, like you, I've got friends that have houses that are in jeopardy and property. And it, it sucks for them. Yeah, it's it's going to be scary times. I I got to see it firsthand, um, and Gary told me, you know, I mean, he had water all the way up to his deck. Um, it, it literally was running down his driveway. For the most part, he's okay because he's a little bit, you know, higher. But we drove around a bunch the one day, and I, I can't even tell you how many different houses I did. I took a bunch of video. Actually, it was it was out of control. So, I mean, I've never seen Gano's launch there that full. The water was coming out of Toothy's garage and running back into the launch, you know? Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, pretty scary but stuff, and I, I don't know. I, I don't know what that's going to mean. I mean, it, it's going to be a wreck in the spring the way it's looking to me. It is. It is. You know, one thing that kind of benefited the fishing this year, even with the, the late cold and snow we had and cooler spring, is the spawn was later, and we had a lot more time to chase those fish out on the bay. Uh, early, you know, after season opened up where usually you got a good week or two and we almost had four weeks of decent casting out in the bay post-spawn this spring. We had Jeff up and we had shameless fishing unless we got a nice fish on film. You know, it's it slowed the spawn down and definitely, you know, it changed the way the fish were this year. Uh, fish were definitely more related I found to like rocks and gravel out there because those weed beds have aren't there or they're clumps. Or, you know, they're so concentrated on these little clumps of weeds and guys are camping on them that they're just pressured away. So I found we had a lot more success, you know, after spawn bite was done in mid-July when it picks back up out in the bay. It was definitely, you know, the reefs, the rocks, and the gravel seemed to be, uh, you know, better fish in the summer. I don't I don't know this, but Kevin, do you fish just musky or do you guide for other species too? So following the rules of one of my mentors, Dennis Radloff, uh, when he was always posed the question, you know, where and how do you musky fish late June through mid-July? And Dennis's answer always was, is I walleye fish. So, you know, <laughs> April, May, uh, when things are open on the bay, yeah, I'm out there walleye fishing. Uh, I'll run some walleye trips throughout the summer. But probably, if you do the math, about 75% musky, 25% walleye. Sure. So, so you, I mean, you literally, you're guiding for walleye as well. Yes. 
which I, I think is good. I think, uh, honestly, in my world, I think that a lot of times walleye fishermen are probably better musky anglers just because of boat control and many other factors. I mean, it, it's knowing where fish are. So there's the technical aspect of, you know, beyond the, the jigging and the casting form, but the trolling. I always, you know, joke with guys. It's like, yeah, you know, I mean, muskies trolling is something I can do, you know, because you're putting 20, 30 feet of line out tops and going three miles an hour. Where walleye fishing some days, it's, you know, okay, we need 80 feet of line out, you know, behind the board, and we got to go 1.1, and you got to let that 80 feet of line out like a foot second because you don't want that thing dropping down to the bottom and hitting zebra mussels and you know tearing your crawl off your harness or whatever so there is but i think you know that some of the technical aspect of the walleye fishing definitely is a little more intense than the musky fishing so i would totally agree with that i think i think a lot of people are maybe sometimes embarrassed if they're musky anglers to say that they're actually walleye fishermen too but i think the uh the combination of knowing both definitely helps the angler Oh, and just following the bait, you know, I mean, the walleye are doing the same thing. They're chasing the bait. They might be working a little deeper, but, you know, like, you know, that mid-June through mid-July, you know, you're on the bait. You know where the shad are. You know, you know where the perch are. And a lot of times when you're out, it's funny, you're, you know, out there pulling crankbaits mid-June or late June for walleye. And next thing you know, a board duck's under and you, you spend 10 minutes trying to get a musky in the boat that breaks off. And you go out there the next day with a lot of deep diving crane baits for musky and you know you can't get a darn one to bite but it kind of it keeps you in tune with what the fish are doing you know where the bait is how they're relating to the bait and just you know what's going on out there awesome i can tell you that it, i think it's easier for me to catch muskies than it is for me to catch walleyes i'm probably one of the world's worst walleye fishermen ever <laughs> <laughs> well the good thing is that there's plenty of bars all around here where they serve a good plate of walleye and it's much easier than having to clean your own <laughs> <laughs> I won't argue with that. I think that's the road I'm gonna have to go. Actually, with a bunch of kids coming up, my older daughter she likes to musky fish. We've talked about that many times. But then I have you know three other kids coming behind her. I probably at some point should really learn how to catch some other species because I went from like panfish and crappies right into muskies. It's the dumbest thing in the world. I should have never never done that. But I've done a little bass, a little walleye. But honestly, I think I'm a better musky fisherman than I am at catching that other stuff. It must be just because muskies are easier to catch, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> I just did the math, Jeff, with the four kids and you in the boat, that's 15 lines out here. Yeah, I couldn't even imagine running that many. <laughs> Nine's plenty. Do you do a ton of trolling the way it's starting to sound here? Uh, fall trolling, but mainly, you know, I prefer, you know, obviously love casting, but once those weeds start to brown up that early September, you know, yeah, you can get on some schools and cast them, but it's just, you know the odds are trolling and you know uh, yeah i do a fair amount in the fall but you know early season throughout the summer and even spending time up in door county now during the summer chasing them too uh i prefer to cast but there's just you know some days i talk to some commercial fishermen and they'll key in on if they had nets torn up or you know something like that and yeah we'll go out and troll some deep water during the summer but yeah i'd rather be out there throwing a bait just, you know some days you got to stack the odds in your favor well, I think that's pretty typical of most muskie anglers. They would rather cast, but, you know, trolling's so effective. And I, I think there's a lot of people that uh, look at trolling kind of in a bad, bad way, if you will. You guys were talking, I, I'm not a Facebooker, so I'm not really up to speed, but you guys were talking before we started uh, recording this that, uh, 
there's something on Facebook right now about if you're with a guide, does the fish count that they catch? Uh, if your clients are catching fish, does that count? Well, you know what? It's still musky fishing. And I think people feel the same way about trolling, that maybe trolling isn't the actual, it's not legit at that point. Right. Right. It, it, there's a technical side to trolling. I'm sorry. It just, oh, there is. There is. And come out here in September when the sand grass lets up, you are, you know, as the guide running the boat, you're, it's nonstop, baits in, baits out, cleaning off, uh, you know, the weeds, keeping things running good. And you're not just out there pulling baits around. I mean, there's, I can, you know, on my last 10 fish, six of them were spot on the spot fish that came off of a, exact little hump and exact little point and it's more than just you know washing baits behind the board there, there's a science to it you know again it's it's supposed to be fun right you know there's three of us in the boat whether we're casting or trolling and all of a sudden someone you know screams and you see them start to hook they got a fish on that's awesome Are you, you know ryan listen to that kicker you got the radio on and next thing there's you know drag ripping and a rod's bending and you know, either way it gets the blood pumping and it's fun yeah i, I love casting but i also love trolling and you know, it's it's my client's day. It's not about me when we're fishing. It's about them, and it's about putting them on a fish. And a lot of people don't have the setups to troll. Joke about Jeff with his four kids. Yeah, I've got, you know, 16 trolling setups, 18 planer boards, how many lures in the boat. It's a big investment, and a lot of people can't make that investment or they want to learn it. So, yeah, it counts. It's As long as somebody's got a smile on their face and they're holding a fish or they learn something that day, that's all that matters to me yeah i i would totally agree with you on that kevin it's pretty interesting i've been working with a couple different guys doing some filming of my own for uh for youtube and stuff and you want to talk about two guys that were in the boat going i hate trolling i hate trolling and what's funny is is both of them caught their personal best that day we got something really really cool that's going to be coming out sometime this winter on youtube so i mean i you can hate it all you want, but it's an effective way to fish, no doubt Brent, about it. You just told me they caught their personal best with you while they were trolling. Those fish can't count. Those aren't even their personal best anymore. It can't possibly count. <laughs> you know, yeah, you I, talk I, about I you know hiring sure. guides. I, I'm you know I'm very good friends with the Smiths. You know Jake and Russ. You know Smitty Bates and. Jake and I trade trips with each other every year and he, you know, comes down and fishes with me and I go up in his boat and fall and hang out. And, you know, I always joke, that's my day to be the problem, not the solution. But this last June, when things slowed down here, I took my son, Karsten, who's 11 and up North and I hired Russ for the day. You know, I mean, he's a hall of fame, musky fisherman, bait maker guide. And, you know, even when it's my son and I fishing, there's pressure. I want him on the spot. I want him, you know, I want him to have the shot. And I'm stressing out about it. And it was so cool to sit back in Russ's boat. And I only casted maybe half a day and to watch my son fish. And I had nothing to worry about but to watch him fish. And it was the coolest, coolest thing ever. Uh, he, he got a neat little tiger right at the boat. He lost a halfway decent size fish. And then he ended up with uh, the 43. And it was Man, it was the coolest thing. So, you know, say what you say. I'm a guide. I'm going to support guys. But, you know, it was one of the best days I had on the water because I could sit back, relax, and watch my son fish. Well, I say it all the time, Kevin. You can agree or disagree. But, uh, you know, one of the things that I would say about hiring a guide, you know, if you're a weekend warrior, there's a lot of them out there, and I, I praise them all because 
most of them, you know, or not most of them, they're customers of Jeff and I for sure. Without them, we're nobody. So the customers first, in my opinion. What I was going to say is, is that, you know, the advantage that guides have is truly we're on the water every day. And that makes the difference. It really does. I mean, when you're on the fish and you're chasing the fish every day, you got the upper hand. There's no doubt about it. From one weekend to the next, things change. Fish yeah. move. So, you know, I don't know how else to say it. There's a lot of things that can be learned by guides. And even myself, I've fished for a long time. You, when you go with somebody different, I'll tell you what, they're going to show you some stuff that maybe you didn't think about. Maybe you, uh, you know, you haven't even thought about trying any of what they're doing. So going with guides oh, yeah. is, is a great way to, to put some more tactics, if you will, in your arsenal. No doubt about it. Oh, and I'll even, as the guide, you know, on days, like if we're trolling and talking, and we're always, you know, I'm, I'm always paying attention to what the people are saying. Or if they're casting, I'm watching, and I pick things up from clients, you know. For sure. And it's, it's like, well, yeah, just, you know, it's like, all right, Primal, what do you, you know, what do you, just out of curiosity, what are you doing that for? And they explain it to you, and it's like, oh, never thought of that, you know. So as a guide, I learn stuff from my clients, and it's awesome. It's, yeah. you know, sharing information and whether you're fishing with your buddies or your family or, you know, clients or a guide, it's always, man, if you spent eight hours in the water with somebody and you didn't learn something that day, you did something wrong or you weren't paying attention. I would totally agree with that. I'm thinking the same exact way you are. I, it's cool, man, to be able to spend time in the water with somebody new. You're definitely going to put something new in your tackle box, if you will. Well, getting back to that Facebook post, I just want to know, like, who does it count to? You know, before there was social media and everybody was posting their fish every single time, you would none of this would none of this would even been a topic of discussion. It wouldn't have mattered. Like nobody was sharing their personal bests all over the place. There was one place to do it, Musky First, and it was almost impossible to upload a picture, so most people didn't do it. So there wasn't all this there wasn't all this competition to there wasn't all this information available either, but there also wasn't all this competition about somebody's 50 inch fish and how they held it and, you know, how they measured it and all this other BS that kind of clutters up the musky world. Today, it's just about catching muskies. And I think people need to understand it's about fun. Did you go out and catch a fish today? Were you with a guide? Did you have fun? Okay, that's all that really matters. It doesn't matter if the fish if somebody else doesn't think your fish counted because you caught it with a guide and you were trolling, who cares? It doesn't matter. You know, and honestly to a lot of these people that are buying like Ranger boats and, and all this stuff, and I'm not knocking Ranger boats or any of that. I, they're, they're a great boat. I used to own one, but I'm saying like sometimes their monthly payment is let's just say four or $500 a month. You can hire a guide every single month. If you like, if you're not using your Ranger boat two, three, four times a month, you might as well just hire a guide and get rid of your Ranger boat. Yeah, your fish may not count according to whatever, using air quotes, you can't see me because it's a podcast, but you, you'd be better off in the long run. You'd always be on fish and you wouldn't have any of the expenses. You wouldn't have to winterize. You wouldn't have all the maintenance. You wouldn't have any of that stuff. All you do is just show up and go fishing. I think, right. I think that happens already. And it just depends on where you are. You know, if you talk to Jason Quintano, when he's out on, on St. Clair there, he has a ton of clients that... They don't even own a boat. He's like, why would they? You know, they don't need to buy anything. They can come fishing with me anytime they want. They're going to catch fish and they're going to have a blast, you know? So I, 
I think that's cool. I think that's a great way to put it, Jeff. I have my I have my Tuffy boat. I got a Tuffy 1760. It made it out of the garage one time this winter this summer. I have a I have a Lund uh, Fury XL. That one gets out a lot more because I take it up north with me. But like part of the reason my other boat doesn't get used that often is because with the YouTube thing, Brad, you know how it is. I spent time in all sorts of different people's boats. We went fishing with Kevin. I went fishing with Steve a bunch of times. I went to Quintana. Or I went with Quintano on Claire. We went with Noah Binsfield. I went out with Jeff Vandermortel up north. So for me, like I'm thinking I'm gonna probably get rid of that boat because I'm like, what's what's the point? It never gets used. I might as well just go out with another guide if I'm gonna, you know, if if I'm not gonna use it. Great. Well, I mean, you know, same thing with not plug somebody else's podcast here, but every spring, Craig, my old tournament partner and I, we run over by Tony's and for what, you know, he gets you for those couple days of fishing and staying there and the weight cave run can eat up lower units. It's, you know, heck yeah. I go over there and throw Tony the cash and fish with some darn good guides and, and don't worry about the thing again. And it's, you know, it's, it's a great way to do it. And because it's just, it's not worth the money to pull my boat. I'm not gonna lie with the with, with the deal they offered down there on Cave Run. I've thought about doing it myself. I'm like, I mean, you have the lodging alone is is almost worth it. Yeah, and I've made some great friends out of it. You know, Scotty, Jason, Lance, Daryl. Uh, they're all great guys. Uh, Timmy Barker, awesome. You know, and get to know those guys. And when they come over this way, you know, try and help them out if they're fishing tournaments or whatever, you just build a good relationship. And, you know, again, you more resources, more guys that you can look on and share info with. Absolutely. Are you all right with talking about Green Bay and kind of maybe like, like if you're a beginning angler and you're looking to get started out on Green Bay, are you kind of interested in maybe talking about that aside from hiring you? You know, if somebody wants to just give it a shot. Oh, heck yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, as a matter of fact, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I never, I always tell people, you know, yeah, there's some secrets, but, you know, I really don't have any secrets. Um, matter of fact, doing a seminar in Glenville, Illinois, uh, Tuesday night, hoping it doesn't snow because I got to work Wednesday morning. But, yeah, we can talk about getting going on Green Bay. Well, let's maybe talk about gear for one. You were, ta- you were talking about trolling. Obviously, we've talked about some stuff before, but specifically for Green Bay. I mean, are you kind of using the same stuff that you would, uh, you know, Anywhere else for your trolling gear, are you using 80-pound test, using 100-pound test, leaders set up? Uh, mainly, I'm trolling 80-pound braid. I prefer braid over mono because of the zebra muscle issue we have on Green Bay. Using, obviously, going to throw our guy John a good plug here. Uh, and exclusively run the stealth leaders. And for trolling, I run the uh, KP-weighted trolling leaders. And the KP would be me. Nothing I came up with. It's a lot of guys have been using it, but uh, we run a keel weight on our three to four foot leaders and that helps you know several different things but yeah it's you know probably one of the most important things out there for whether you're casting or trolling is going to be that leader because that's what's you know keeping that bait and that line together and protecting you know the your your catch or your fish from you know cutting breaking your line so you know those are two important things that your line and your leaders uh rods I run the St. Croix Mojo trolling rods. They're glass graphite composite bend. They're not a cheap rod, but they, you know, they absorb the shock of the waves of trolling. Uh, they have enough backbone to set the hooks on the fish when you're trolling and, you know, to fight the fish. So, yeah, it's trolling's not a cheap venture. Same thing, running 10 line counters with pretty tight, or I should say pretty strong drags, loud clickers definitely make a difference. 
and you know you want the line counter so you know how far back your baits are running so it's not a cheap endeavor to troll you don't need to get down to your rod holders i run the tracks text the you know the poured aluminum the tubes and then i have some salties mounted on there as well so that's kind of my trolling setup so let's talk a little bit about weight on your leaders so obviously you can get that kp leader we carry them i think john's got them on their website so for guys that are so guys that have never used weight on their leaders they i'm assuming for you this they're twofold right kevin you're going to use them because the weights will help catch some of the weeds correct because you're running you're typically running shallower baits on green bay your baits will dive faster with the weight so let's just say you use a one ounce weight versus a two ounce weight versus a three ounce weight when you're using the three of them and how much of a difference does a one ounce weight make in in your dive chart because for people that don't know every single bait dives differently as far as like if you let out 20 feet of line x bait may go i don't know four feet down and b you know the other bait might go six feet down and you know and so on and so forth and there's other ones that only go two feet down correct so if you're running you know weight on them how much does that change and brad you can probably jump in too because i know when you're trolling you're doing a bunch of that stuff too you know, I mainly run one or two ounce weights. You know, we'll just talk about what those weights do for you first before we get into that. They do uh, a handful of things. Number one, I talked about the fan grass. That catches a lot of that fan grass, and it does buy you time. We, you know, joke about I've caught plenty of September with a pound of salad hanging off that keel weight, and their lure's still running clean. And you're right. Yeah, we're running shorter sets. Last couple weeks, I've been running baits seven to 12 feet back behind the boards and that's it. That's all with that shorter set, that weight is helping keep that lure from blowing out, especially on turns. So when you're making that turn on the fast side, that weight is helping keep that lure down in the water column. And on the opposite side of the boat, where the bait that are going slower as you're turning, the weight is helping keep that lure down versus just floating right up to the surface of the floating lure. And then on top of that, uh, with the heat dive and stuff, when you're running, say, like a Chad Shad, uh, you know, 18 back and eight, nine feet of water, that weight is actually going to be banging off the bottom before that Chad Shad would be at times. So what that weight is doing is it's banging on the bottom, it's catching, which causes that lure, and then the force of the boat trolling will rip that weight off of whatever it's coming up on, and then that jerks that lure forward. So you're actually getting erratic action out of your lures banging the weight off the bottom versus the lure. So you're not wrecking the width of the lure as much. You're not dulling your hooks, bending your hooks, but you're getting that erratic action. So, you know, for the most part, when I'm using my weights, Kevin, I'm using um, anywhere from an eight to a 16 ounce ball to uh, run our trolling girls down at a certain depth. And, you know, for the most part, what I, I generally troll more so in the spring, but I, I will do some fall trolling as well. And we did a couple of weeks ago, actually, we were doing some fall trolling. Um, deer hunting kind of gets in the way of that for me, unfortunately. At the end of the day, um, in the spring, what I'm generally doing is if I run, like, say, a 16-ounce ball, and I'm running around 75 feet of line, 50 feet of line, I'm going to be down somewhere around that 8-foot mark with a trolling girl yep. at about 3.2. So I generally troll between 3 and 3.5, uh, 3.2 seems to be my sweet spot. Talk to some guys, they'll say 3.3, whatever. But, I mean, it's right in that ballpark. And when I'm doing that, um, 50, 55 feet of line, 
one pound ball basically in front of the leader where you tie your line on. I'm looking at eight feet down and eight to 10 anyway. And the reason I want to have them up high like that is number one, um, I, the fish feed up. So right. why not have the bait above them? And I don't know if you're trolling blades at all. Are you doing that too in the fall? Or yeah. No? Oh yeah, definitely. And uh, that it usually seems like mid September, uh, that, the blade bite really picks up. And I, I do mine a little different. I split the weight from right in front of the lure and then in front of the leader too. And then I run them on the down rods. And typically that way I don't have to run as far back as you're running them. Uh, and, you know, we're also concentrating. At that time, we're fishing 12 feet of water, 7 feet of water. So, you know, I'm looking to get mine down 2 to 3 tops at that point because, you know, like right. you said, they're coming up. So, yeah. So between the down rod and then running, you know, like splitting the weight. Like I'll run four ounce keel in the front of the leader, and then I'll run a four ounce dollar ball, you know, at the back of the leader at the front of the lure. So, you know, that's just the way I do it. I like to split the weight so my line's running parallel with the surface of the bottom of the water, not an angle. That way, like, you know, the blades run through and don't blow out. And pretty soon you realize you're pulling the blades and they won't spin it. But yeah, but that's yeah. I, de- I definitely. I'm fishing a lot deeper water than you are, Kev. You know, yeah, that, that's yeah, yeah. one difference. But uh, there's no doubt. I mean, that short line trolling can really, really be a, a huge key. So I I myself, on most of my bodies of water over here, they're so clear. And I've experimented with it quite a bit, actually. And I've never had the luck of short line trolling. And I, I wish I could because I've done it down in Kentucky with Greg. And there's... There's nothing more fun than watching a muskie come up and eat that bait right by the boat. You know, whether it's right. seven feet away from the boat, you can literally watch the fish eat the bait. Same thing. I'll, that's you know, I learned the short line trolling tricks from those guys on in Cave Run earlier in the year, and it, you know, I use it too during the summer. You get those hot days, and guys are starting to get tired, and that's you know about the time that somebody gets a follow and they're not paying attention and they miss the fish. So it's like, all right, let's take a half hour break, throw three bucktails, you know short line and just we'll hit a couple of weed beds take you know 15 20 minutes drink some water eat a sandwich pop some ibuprofen and get back casting but yeah the short line trolling you know for us it works because we're not hitting super deep water and obviously you know it's green bay for a reason it's dirty water up here yeah and i don't know if the dirty water is the biggest factor it's just i have not been able to put that pattern together here well too there's nothing better than an angry fish hitting 12 feet of line I would agree with that completely. <laughs> uh, it's fun stuff. I mean, that that's, you know, we've said it earlier, the the trolling thing, I think people think it's overrated, but yeah, there, there's so many fun parts of that whole side of it too, you know, and I, I right. think it's overlooked, but. Right. You know, and you, you mentioned it too, speed can play a factor in your trolling too on how deep your lures are running. That, you know, the faster you go with a bucktail, the higher it's going to run. But For the sure. faster you go to the deep dive and lower, the deeper it's going to run to the point where it blows out. The other thing that can change some of the, the factors in this whole deal is, uh, and I, I run a mix. I run a mix of braid and um, as well mono. But uh, one of the things that I will say is that if you're going from 80 to 100 pound test, you're going to get more lift with that heavier line. There's no doubt oh, about that. So. Definitely. But... Something to think about. I mean, there's uh, there's so many different factors in this whole game. 
Yep. And then two by us, you know, for, for working the river, you didn't factor in current. That makes a difference if you're going into it or going with it too. I can see that for sure. You know, yep. I, it, it, one of the things that I've learned over a period of years, and I, it's funny because you can talk to one guy and they'll say, no, I haven't seen that. But for the most part, most of my fish that I'm going to get when I'm trolling is going with the wind. So it would be similar to going with the currents of some sort. And I've been on Green Bay multiple times, and you want to talk about a body of water that has currents. I mean, it's amazing how that lake reacts to wind. Definitely, I think, you know, they're predator fish. They're setting up according to that wind. They're setting up according to that current. And if you're going to feed them the right direction, it seems for me that you definitely catch more fish going with the wind than you will going into the wind and you can do it parallel as well and i'm you catch fish both ways but if you really start to pay attention put the pieces of the puzzle together it definitely has been more effective for me to go with the wind that's interesting because i'll tell you flat out keeping track of mine i hit more fish running into the wind, into the current and wind than i do going with it well that's interesting i mean I, i've had that argument a few times with different people so I don't know. It, it, every body of water is a little bit different, but right. definitely something to kind of think about when you're out there doing this stuff. And I, I will say this, one of the things that I've always thought about, and I'm not saying I'm a hundred percent right, but it's something that I have in the back of my head as a theory. And that is bait rich lakes where fish become lazy, basically meaning that you have so much bait, these fish really aren't having to work to actually right. eat. I, I believe, and this is my beliefs, doesn't mean anything, but I believe that these fish, you're better off in a bait-rich lake to actually cast into the wind because that fish is going to be off the brake line or off that weed line. And you're casting into the wind to bring that bait over that because they're sitting on the backside, that slack water. Now, Correct. you get into a really competitive, where there's very, very little bait fish, competitive situation. Now, all of a sudden, speed becomes a huge factor, and the fastest bait is generally going to catch the largest fish, in my opinion. So, just some little theory that I've been putting together for many years, and I, I don't know. I mean, it, it definitely seems to hold true if you start following and paying attention to what you're actually doing. Correct. Oh, yeah. And that, you know, keeping notes is a huge, huge factor, uh, especially now with, you know, in my garments. And I know you can do it with the Lorances, you know, with the touch screen on the hummingbirds, too, but like dropping in two sentences of info on every waypoint. So you have it on the water, but then you can go back at the end of the day and, you know, write it down, whether you do it on the, you know, your tablet or your electronic tablet, whatever, but just keeping that information because you can look back and go, all right. Uh, cold july with you know lots of rain oh i had that seven years ago oh this is what worked seven years ago so you know you have that stuff in your you know in the back you know, you can't say in the back of your head because you try and remember all that you can't but so you know to be paying attention to that stuff to write it down to log it that you can go back to it and use that right i i will admit there was a time when i actually really did keep good records yeah um, and then I, I pretty much fumbled on that and uh, have not done that for quite a few years. But I have a, an old client of mine who became just a really good, solid friend. And I can't tell you how many times I've went to him and said, 
Paul, I, I'm hurting here. Give me a, throw me a bone, you know, and he'll go back into his records. We'll look at the water temps. We'll look at what the winds were doing predominantly. And all of a sudden we're back in the fish. So there is yep. no doubt that that's, that is a huge factor in catching more fish. I'll, I'll be the first one to admit I'm guilty. I don't, uh, I don't keep the best records as I should, probably should. Yeah, I, well, I'll I'll admit to that's a little a little bit of do as I say, not as I do with that. But yeah, I, you know, and I I try, you know, it's just especially now with the GPSs, like I said, you can throw that information on those waypoints, and at the end of the day, you know, just jot it down, and you know, when you get time, type it in on a spreadsheet or something. But it, it does help. That's interesting. You said that Garmin definitely has that. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, yep. And it's you know, and basically what I when we hit a fish lure. Speed, actually, it records the depth and the speed in the water temp automatically. But then in the comments, I put the lure, how far back it was, the color, and any, like, you know, big wind, big clouds, bright day, that kind of thing. And so, you know, you have that information there because when you all of a sudden you're looking at, you know, 500 waypoints, it's like, well, what is this? What is that? And now when you're in an area in September, you can start hitting your waypoints and go, oh, yeah, this is, you know. Fire Tiger Super Shad Wrap, 35 feet back, two ounces, we're in 13 feet of water. And you can, you know, you can throw that stuff at it where if you don't have those notes or that book or your tablet in front of you, you don't have that information. But now with the way that works on a lot of those units, you can, you know, have those notes in your waypoints. I definitely think that's a, that's a cool feature for sure. So, Brad, Kevin, I got a question for you, not Green Bay related. This is just general knowledge or just a general lake question. Do you think that every single lake has a trolling bite? Do you think every single musk? Do you think every lake has muskies that will eat baits trolled? Because I have a theory that I found one that I cannot catch a muskie trolling. Is that is that even possible? Yeah, I think it's impossible. I think that you definitely can find that bite. It's just a matter of putting in the time and effort. It's just crazy. I I was back there a couple of weeks ago before things froze up because I've never dedicated like an entire day to this lake trolling. It's a northern Wisconsin lake. Typically, if I was going to go out there and I was going to troll, I'd spend like two hours. And I've, cause I've caught fish off structure, on structure, open water, all over out on that lake. I've caught tons and tons of fish. I have never caught one motor trolling and I just cannot figure it out for the life of me. And I was just curious if anybody thought that this is even a possibility. I, that body of water that you're talking about, though, Jeff, isn't that, didn't you catch your very first muskie there trolling, though, originally? I caught a couple there roll trolling. I've never caught my, I caught my very first muskie there, but that was casting. I've never caught one since motor trolling has been legal up there. I never caught one motor trolling. And I thought to myself, like when they were talking about legalizing motor trolling in Northern Wisconsin, that was the lake I had in mind. I'm like, Oh man, we are going to crush on that lake. And I haven't caught one single one motor trolling on that lake. And I, like I said, I would cast, Back in the day, I used to use the Phantom Lure hardhead quite a bit, and I would throw that over open water, and I would crush them on that, and then I started using dogs more, so I'd catch them on those. I've caught them, like I said, off points, tons of places that you could easily troll around cribs, and I've never caught one trolling yet. I just, I've caught them on small baits. I've caught them on big baits. I've caught them on bright baits. I've caught them on natural baits out there, and I've never once caught one trolling. Is it ultra clear? No, it's super dark. Well, that's really odd. I would, you know, and there's there's one lake up north that 
I road trolled with some friends and we've gotten fish on. It's a small lake and I've also caught fish there casting. And I've gone back to motor troll it. And my issue is it's almost too small to try and motor troll with the open water where the road trolling, you know, you could, you could work it so much easier and you, you know, you get out there with a 19, 20 foot boat and throw two rods over and fire up the kicker. And next thing you know, you're, you're in the weeds and you're mucking things up. But I would think that my thing is, is most lakes, you should be able to catch fish, you know, casting and trolling. I don't know why you couldn't get them trolling. All right. I was just curious if I was missing something because I feel the same way. I mean, I've caught them roll trolling and I could, with my roll troller, I could literally roll troll 2.8 to 3, 3 miles an hour. So it's not like I was going like 1.8, you know, I was in that general trolling range. I should say general trolling range for Wisconsin guys because I was talking to Kevin Goldberg. He's telling me I need to crank up the speed. There's just something about that rhythmic motion of those baits when you're roll trolling. You know, you get that little pause between your rows, and then you, you're, you're rolling again, and that lure's grabbing a little more. There's just, I don't know, it's, it's an art. It's kind of, it's always intrigued me. It's got this little mythical, magical thing to it. I, I just love it. You know, you can hear the water rushing past the boat as you're rolling, and next thing you know, that rod starts banging in the rod holder. Total, total neat experience. Yeah. That's one thing that I have never done. I haven't row trolled, and it's intriguing to me. And honestly, I think we need to we need to get somebody on here that does a ton of it. It would be really cool to talk to them. That's right. Well, then we talk about getting Tom Gelb out here. I would love to get Tom Gelb on here. I mean, he. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if they they come any better as far as uh, expertise on that whole side of things. Do you think he has a cell phone to give us a phone call? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, between his art of road trolling and his science with the thermal climb and the lunar cycles, that, that man is amazing. Be good stuff. That's one book. I, I read his book every winter. It's just you learn something every time you read it. Well, he's a wealth of knowledge. Well, now that we got all this, this library of podcasts, Kevin, I just expect you to be listening to those all, all winter long. Well, you, I mean, you know, I always listen to the Jensen one. I don't listen to any others. <laughs> <laughs> Good call. Good call. Yeah. Man crush. Oh, brother. All right. So, hey, Kevin, one thing we haven't talked about on Green Bay, we kind of got off topic a little bit, is baits and colors. If you, you know, we know that you do both casting and trolling on Green Bay. So if for somebody's going to be hitting up Green Bay next year, because obviously things are closing down by the time this is out, a good chance it's going to be really close to done. What uh, what are you going to be throwing for baits casting? What are you going to be throwing for baits trolling? And let's talk a little bit about some of your favorite colors. All right. Uh, well, let's just cover blades. Uh, first off, uh, my top three bucktails. First off is lunge and lures. The eights from them seem to work really well for me out there in the floge green. Uh, and then more natural color is that toothies walleye, but did really, really well with the saber mini bully. And then to give Brad uh, props is the, uh, the Oktoberfest double pens, especially the, uh, the heavier weighted one. I believe that's in the Jensen line. Uh, great. Those are my, you know, my three best bucktails out there. You know, a little bright, a little natural, and then that Oktoberfest is just a good all-around color. Casting-wise, it's going to be the mag double dogs. Probably your ball buster color, Jeff, is one of my best. And then the uh, pickleback, and then, you know, almost anything walleye. So, again, you got one bright, which is the pickleback, 
You've got uh, the orange, black, white, gold combo that works all the time. And then, uh, you know, more natural and a walleye color. And that's one thing I can tell you right away. And I learned this many years ago. Bright days, clear water on Green Bay, you want white bellies. Uh, darker days, dirty water, you want orange bellies. So that's, you know, that whole walleye color on the brighter, clear water days is one of my best things. And then jumping over to that brighter color, uh, like uh. that back or that, you know, that foliage green on a bucktail on the, the darker, dirtier water. So definitely, you know, think that orange bellies on dirty water, dark days and white bellies when you're fishing clear water on brighter skies. So let me ask you this, does that change um, throughout the season then as well? Is that something that, uh, say, spring versus fall, um, are you changing from back and forth that way as well, Kevin? Yes, I am. And those those three colors I talked about, those were put most of my casting fish in the boat this year. When we were fishing, say, early on, casting shallower, sandier water, where they were, you know, pre-post-spawn, kind of laying on that sand, walleye color from toothies was tops we had you know dirtier darker days and them fish were sitting off a little deeper that flowage green color uh was doing phenomenal for me and then again it's just you know that your uh oktoberfest color you know that orange and silver and black that's just it's an all-around good color and i feel that even like you know fishing different bodies of water other than green bay when things aren't going i find myself going back to that good old you know orange and black combo yeah, a lot of times I think some of that is, too, is just the confidence that you have in them, you know? You better believe it, yeah. We've said it a million times before, confidence is key. It is. It is. Confidence will definitely will definitely help. So, yeah, so, you know, that's kind of the casting thing. Uh, trolling, if we want to talk about that, and typically, uh, you know, we start trolling in Green Bay, early September when those weeds are dying off it's it's a shad bite so it's baits with bellies uh I mean everybody knows super shad wraps on Green Bay beyond those though the slammer six inch deep divers have been phenomenal baits for me the last four or five years the res x from blue water which used to be the I believe the hooker shad bait uh has been good the last year or two for me as the uh the western raw bites and then also I mix some Chad Shads in there, uh, just a little smaller bait. But again, they have the drop belly on them. And that's what the fish are looking for up until like, you know, now is when we're starting to switch over to big stick baits. And again, you know, a natural perch, a bright fire tiger, and then something with, you know, some oranges and some yellows in it again, just to mix it up. The last thing probably that we're, we haven't talked about necessarily was structure. What's the primary structure you're looking to find out there in Green Bay? I don't know if we talked exactly about it or not. I know I know the answer. And the other thing, too, is there's some rock bars out there. Have you ever caught a muskie off any of those rock bars out there? Because I've hit them a bazillion times, and I've never once caught one. Yeah, and I, I talked about that a little earlier. You know, that cast invite there in the summer has been weed-related for the last you know, 10 years, and even beyond that. But with the water being up and the weed growth being scattered and changed i had a lot more fish on big shoals and reefs where there was rock and weed this summer or even just rock alone uh casting wise and this fall hitting gravel areas and little rock humps and points have been key for me but you know it's weeds definitely during the summer but you got to be willing to go look for them 
and search them out a little harder now because it's changed with the high water. Being that your water's so high like it is, I mean, I, I'm wondering, you know, what kind of weeds are they, first of all, Kevin? What are you What are you looking for? Are you looking for cabbage or are you looking for... That summer bite is cabbage. And I actually did a little research on it. A lot of our cabbage is that smaller leaf, and that's okay. actually considered to be invasive. But, yeah, it's it's cabbage. And it's some of the most beautiful, thickest green stuff when you do come across it. But again, like I said, you know, the the big, huge edges are gone where they used to be in nine feet of water because now it's 13, 14, and the water's been dirtier. So you need to go inside. Like, you know, where you used to throw your bait to, you know, and retrieve it, your boat should now be where that bait landed five years ago, thrown up even shallower because those weeds are progressing closer to shore where there's shallower water that you know kind of makes sense yeah that's interesting to me you know one of the things that you had talked about is you talked about fishing with greg and tony you know down in kentucky and if anybody's dealt with crazy high water bouncing back and forth the first time i went to cave run i'm looking at these accesses you know the launch to put your boat in right. might be 100 yards long and i'm like greg what's the deal here He's like, well, the water will come up that high. And I'm like, wow, I never even thought about it, you know? I mean, it's not something that we would relate to up here in the Northland. Um, they're dealing with fluctuations of 20 feet. Uh, right. And some of their weeds, some of the primo weed beds, which I'm sure you've probably fished with those guys, um, and Greg does a ton of trolling. So, you know, it's unique. It it truly, truly is unique, and it's special because their weeds are dying and coming back and dying, and, you know, when things kind of normal out and the water kind of gets regulated where they're not getting the big rains and what have you, um, those weeds really, really kind of turn on, and then all of a sudden they basically get killed because they, they're 20 feet underwater. <laughs> right. Well, that was funny this spring because the water was up. 20 some feet when we were there and we we're fishing with Tim and he was joking with us the day before his client kept asking what kind of weeds he was snagging and Tim's like that's lawn grass and the guy's like I've never heard of that kind of weed and he's like no it is lawn grass like, <laughs> you know, it was. and the guy just it took him a while to figure it out like oh it's really great yeah <laughs> so but you know and that's another thing is what we can have then touch on that with these big northeast winds out here uh you get two days of a northeast blow during summer and it's pushing that Lake Michigan water down, you can see surface temps drop 12, 14 degrees out here. That has a major effect on it too, where literally the wind turns the water over. And so that affects the weed growth and then temperatures drop and that definitely affects the fish. And, you know, people be like, man, what's going on? You know, we were here two weeks ago and we saw 72 degree water temps and we get back and we had 64 and, you know, the, fish are tight on the bottom they won't eat well yeah because basically you know that water got turned over and all that cold water stirred up and it you know it browned up the weeds for a little bit and it pushed those fish down to the bottom and they're negative so all those factors come in when you're talking about the weeds the crazy part about green bay is you you almost have tidal times based upon the wind i know pulling into a dock and the boat might be like level with the dock and you come back there four hours later and now it's three feet below the dock so right. definitely things that you got to kind of think about yep 
Yeah, it's all wing driven, and actually the technical term for that is the sesh. But yeah, it's a it's what happens. You know, all that north wind, that water literally from Badenoch gets pushed down here, and we can rise. We saw it this summer. We had like three hours. The water rose over four feet from a big huge wind, and it caused some major issues. But same thing, you get big salt winds, and all of a sudden you're like, wow, that break wall at Salt Bay Marina has never been that high before. Well, yeah, because all that water that got pushed down earlier this week with that north wind has now been pushed out and more because the wind switched to predominantly salt. So it does, you'll see huge water fluctuations. You know, and huge is relative, like you said, you know, talking about the cave run thing. But, yeah, I mean, you know, a two, three-foot water influx for us is is considerably huge. Yeah, I think that that part of it is pretty interesting when it comes to most midwestern fishermen they're not used to that per se no no and it's you got to remember it's you know it's part of the great lake it's connected up there and you get that wind blowing it doesn't take much to push that cold surface water from up north down here right kevin i know typically most of your your guide trips are spent during the daytime hours but is there a bite on green bay at the night in during the nighttime yes there is and yeah, there's, I mean, there's definitely a, a casting bite, and there can be a trolling bite at night, too. My big thing is, though, is, you know, most people want to fish during the day. So <laughs> I'm going home and hanging out with my family and sleeping at night. You know, there is there's a night bite, guys. When I come up here and fish it, it can be fun. But I can tell you, it's pretty intimidating being out in a body of water this big and the pitch black. And you better have, you know, means with you other than your... Uh, GPS for navigation, have a compass, know how to use it, because if something goes wrong and you're out there in the dark, it can get pretty lonely, and it's pretty big water. Yeah, I mean, so I'm assuming you, have you done it much? Like, have you really actually gone out there and fished much at night, or are you pretty much just, you know, daytime hours? Like you said, I'll go run my guide trip and I'll be done? Uh, I've gone out at night and had success, and typically what it is, it's, you know, buddy of mine's like, hey, we're going out, you know, from whatever, from you know nine till one and it's like sure and yeah a great time to fish the weeds because they're up in those weeds at night you know chasing bait obviously with the the light being different they're coming up a little higher in those weeds eating uh it can be a lot of fun fishing you just know where you are know where you're going and know the areas that you're fishing so hey kevin one thing we have never talked about on this podcast is like the act of what you do if you catch a fish trolling especially with a big spread like you have out in green bay do you want to, before, we, before we're done for the night, you want to just talk about kind of the process of once you hook up to a fish and you hear that rip, kind of what, what you do with the boat as far as like how you keep everything in gear, keep everything away, how many lines you clear, just gives, give guys an idea of what they're going to be dealing with with a multi-line spread with a fish on. Yeah, you know, and the, one of the biggest things you get from guys at the landing or people who know you are, and they'll see you on the water, they'll shoot you a message on Facebook. They're like, why does everybody have their bomb on in the water while they're trolling with their kickers or their big motor? Well, one thing we do is we run our bomb on troll. A lot of times with the wind, if you want to hit a certain edge, a certain hump, you know, you'll use that trolling motor to kind of keep the boat edging where you want to go. Or when you're tending line, you can hit autopilot, you know, to keep you going a nice straight line and, you know, clear your lines and keep the boat running. But yeah, when that, when that fish hits, whether, you know, the client grabs the rod or I grab it and hand it to them. Uh, but once they've got pressure and we go over, we do the fire drill before we even set lines because it's happened. It happened multiple times this year where we're not even completely set up and the line's going off. But when that fish rips and the client's got pressure and they start reeling on that fish, I, you know, 
vocalize, all right, I'm slowing down the kicker, which I do. I, I take my troll master, I bump the kicker down, and then I ramp up my bow mount, you know, to go from like that, you know, whether it's three and a half or three miles an hour down to about one. And that does a few things. It, you know, it keeps the boat going straight, especially if you're into the wind, so you're not getting blown around and tangling lines because you'll see guys just throw a boat neutral and stop, and if they're running into the wind, they get spun around. But, you know, it's it's better for the fish not dragging and fighting that fish at three and a half miles an hour. And I think it's a you know a more fair fight for the person, but you just run that trolling motor, keep that boat going three quarters of a mile an hour to a mile, you know, you get a, get a decent fair fight on the fish and yeah, like down rods. So if I'm trolling blades, that's the first thing that's coming out of the water because if you slow down where it's, you know, what's the heaviest thing that doesn't float was well, that bucktail with that four or eight ounces on. So you definitely want to clear that. And if it's an outside rod that went, I'm going to start clearing inside rods if I have time. If it was an inside rod the fish is on, typically you don't have time to clear rods. But, you know, get those inside rods out. Don't pump the fish. That's the worst, or the rod. That's the worst thing you can do. Uh, you know, you spend any time on fishing with salmon guys, and you start pumping the rod, they slap you upside the head. Don't pump the fish. Just keep steady pressure on that rod. Let the, you know, the flex of that rod absorb the head shakes. Because every time you pull back on that rod and then let slack, you just make that hole bigger in the fish's mouth. And then, you know, just, again, you know, have them keep reeling. And that's a big thing, too, is people want to stop reeling because the fish is just, like, bull on them and doesn't want to move. And then all of a sudden, the fish will charge the boat, and the people aren't reeling, and the fish gets slack, and it's get off. So, you know, keep reeling. Get that planer board off. Keep pressure on the line when you're popping that, popping that planer board off, and then, you know, let your person know reeling in. It's like, all right, here comes the slack. And slowly, with your hand, let that slack up. Don't let the slack snap because, again, slack's our worst enemy. That's how the fish get off. And then, obviously, the fish gets up to the boat, get it in the net. You know, finish setting up what you need, you know, tool-wise, measuring board, camera while that fish is in the net. Make sure the fish is, you know, upright, not upside down, not head into the current. Get them straightened out. You know, get the hooks out. Get them in the boat for a quick measurement, good picture, and then back in the water. And I'll talk about it. You know, the St. Clair guys use the big live wells uh, that are, you know, have the pressurized water flying through them. We don't have that. But the fish out here, they get big. They get thick. And you get an upper 40s fish, it's hard to get your hand around the tail of that fish some days. And you're in this high-sided, you know, walleye-style boat. The release sometimes can be a little hectic. So I've even put fish, you know, as soon as we get down with the picture, put them back in the net, upright them in the net for a second or two, get your hand around the tail or the client does, and then, you know, like loop that, turn that net out from under the fish, and then, you know, work the fish till you release it. But that the key thing is, is using that ball mount. Uh, once you get that fish on, slowing on your big motor, your kicker, just keep the boat going straight and not drag that fish at three, four miles an hour. And oh yeah, scream and holler when it hits the net. That's the best thing. But does it count? That's just what I want to know. Like, is it st- does it count yet or not? Hey, again, the only thing that counts in my boat is smile. That's good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think one of the then, biggest keys that you talked about, Kevin, was keep reeling. So many times with clientele, we we end up losing these fish i mean it's amazing as soon as that fish gets in the net a lot of times that comes unpinned the biggest thing is is a steady pressure just continue reeling like you said i think that's a huge key yep you know and i unless i know who is like know them well they fished me before i never turn off the clicker on the reel 
because I always want to hear that, you know, I want to hear the clicker going when they're reeling. Even if, you know, if they're burning drag, you don't hear it, but I want to hear that clicker going because I want to know they're reeling. So I've had so many people stop reeling and you're clearing a line. And next thing you know, you turn around, you watch the tip of the rod, just go limp because the fish charged the boat and it came off and it's too late. That's a valid point. No doubt about it. So, hey, Kevin, I know one thing we haven't talked about before we take off is uh, Lakewood Tackle Boxes. I know you're involved with the company as far as a rep for the company. They're made out of Green Bay also. Why don't you just give a little infomercial quick on them, talk about what's new with Lakewood, you know, for this past season and whether or not you're going to be at any shows coming up because, sadly, we got to start talking about the S-word. No, not show season. I've been involved with Lakewood for probably 10, 12 years now. They are actually, if you turn the wrong way off 41, when you get to Sunset Beach Road to go to the Swamico Launch, you'll pretty much run into the factory. Uh, they're made right at the old northwest Green Bay and Swamico. Yeah, this last year, what we did is you know a lot of research, a lot of development, came up with a way to make the dividers adjustable. And I know, Jeff, you, know, you were one of our retailers that was pushing for that, that you wanted some flexibility in the box because not every guy has six of them and can set them up the way, you know, with just specific lures in each one. So that was one thing we worked on a lot last year was the, uh, the movable dividers, some different, you know, size boxes, you know, some guys were requesting, uh, but yeah, they're made right here in green Bay in the good old USA show season. Uh, we'll all put on our smiles. Uh, mine starts in Chicago with the rest of you, uh, be at the stealth tackle booth, Milwaukee, I will be with Lakewood, uh, Minnesota as well. Lakewood, we're also doing the Madison Fishing Expo, which is always a fun one. And probably be at the Mill Sleep Farm show with uh, Abu and Fenwick. See Brad there as well, and that's kind of the end of our show season. Yeah, that's always a good feeling to have that show over, you know? Yes, it is, that's, especially that's for me, Brad, because it's, it's a 10-minute ride home from that one. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's a little longer for me. You know, that's the one thing for where I live. I definitely travel quite quite a ways compared to most of you guys. You do. You put on the miles. And you did you do any of the like Kentucky or the PA show? I don't. And you know, it isn't that we don't want to, but you know, that's a busy time of the year for us as well. So you, you need know, to be space. Exactly. Oh. That initial orders are always a a big concern and it's tough to do it all. You know what I mean? I, I would, it isn't that we don't want to, but it's hard to. So, Right. And then factor in the winter weather and the driving and Jeff slipping and falling after shows and hitting his head. Uh, it all <laughs> takes a pull. <laughs> Been there, done that. Yep. Oh. That was my revenge for the rod flying in the water, by the way, Jeff. Oh. <laughs> oh. Well, for anybody that wants to see Kevin throws rod in the water, check out our green bay musky hunt video on youtube <laughs> that was the best thing ever as rod goes flying the water first thing he does is turn around and look to see if the camera got it, it was. all four of them were on and the ice incident that kevin refers to was uh when was that kevin it wasn't this last year it was the year before i think right yeah it was uh there was an ice storm right when we were packing up from chicago and i think it was one of our last loads we needed to take out i'm going down the ramp and i just freaking biffed right on the ground smashed my rear end on the ground i think i hit my head a little bit fortunately i didn't break anything i mean i was 40 years old at the time so you know things are getting a little more fragile i made it through all right but 
hurt my pride a little bit. I know you saw it. Mike Kramer saw it. I think there's a few others that saw it. It was yeah. It wasn't good. But you know, we were laughing at you. That's Jeff, good because I wasn't you. laughing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I am now. It's all good now. All right. All right, Kevin. Why don't you tell everybody about your social media, your website, maybe your phone number if they want to book a trip with you over the over the winter. Yep. Facebook. It's Laying the Line Guide Service. Same thing on the internet. Just search Laying the Line Guide Service. It'll take you right to my website. Uh, Instagram, K.R. Pishke. Phone number is 920-676-7893. Yeah, gladly give me a call, shoot me a message on social media, and I will get back to you. And I'd say maybe we got a shot at a day or yes, this November, but I think uh, let's just talk about fishing next season. Yeah, with the way the way the weather is right now, I think uh, <laughs> it's probably a good call to to look at next year. The, the fat lady thing, I guess. I can hear her right now. Yeah, pretty much. Or maybe that's just Brad. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm fat. I'm not a lady, but I'm fat. Okay. Well, I wasn't sure if you were singing over there or not. <laughs> All right, couple of things that Carrie and I discussed that we need to talk about. So, for anybody that cares, Muskie Mayhem Tackle will have a. Black Friday sale. Team Rhino Outdoors will have a Black Friday sale. As of right now, we don't have any details on how much it'll be, what the codes will be, or anything like that. But our next podcast, we'll talk about that going into, because that'll be the one right before all that shopping stuff kicks off for holidays. And then the other thing, too, is Backlash Podcast has a mailing list. If you want to sign up for our mailing list, we're trying to figure out uh, some discounts or some something that we can run for anybody that signs up for our mailing list. Go to muskymayhemtackle.com. There's a there's a page there that says Backlash Podcast, and I think you can click the link that says sign up for our mailing list right there. A couple weeks back, both um, Muskie Mayhem Tackle and Team Rhino Outdoors and Backlash Podcast all had links on their Facebook pages too, so you could find it there. We're, we're going to do some sort of deal or something that we're going to run through the mailing list that way. You keep track of Backlash Podcast. If you guys want to support the show, check out Backlash Podcast hoodies and t-shirts. You can find those both at muskymayhemtackle.com and teamrhinooutdoors.com. And then if you want to get in touch with Backlash Podcast, you can find us at backlashpodcast at gmail.com. And as far as I'll finish off with my company and then we'll let Brad wrap it up. So I'm the owner of Team Rhino Outdoors. We're a retailer in the musky world that sells majority of custom colors. Most of our stuff you can only find exclusively at Team Rhino Outdoors. And while most of our competition is slimming down the inventory for the slow season, we have definitely been gearing up. Our inventory is probably at the highest levels we've seen it all year, mostly because while others stopped ordering, we just kept ordering and we... Have some new stuff and some new colors and new t-shirts and by the time you hear this we should have some new beanies on the website so check out all of our stuff check out our website teamrhinooutdoors.com check it out on check us out on youtube facebook instagram our youtube channel still running good we've been putting out new content every single sunday night at six o'clock throughout the course of the season we still probably have six eight nine episodes of stuff that we're going to put out yet majority of it right now we did a bunch of tips and tricks during the season, a lot of our stuff now is going to be fishing related for guys that are off the water. Most of you give a couple weeks before you start jonesing again to get back on the water or you're going to go drill some holes in the ice. So, Brad, why don't you talk a little bit about Muskie Mayhem Tackle, and then we'll uh, we'll call her a night. Hey, before Brad goes, I just want to throw him a little shot here. Uh, this past winter, 
Carrie had gotten a hold of me and Brad, we talked to the police firm show and you know, he had talked to a few police officers too. And they made some custom double 10 bucktails. There's a firefighter version. There is a uh, two police versions, one being police officer and one being deputy sheriff as well. Tomorrow is veterans day. They made some veterans bucktails. And I know I saw Carrie posted recently that there are some left. And they're donating 40% of the sales of those to different charities, the uh, National Fallen Firefighters, Officer Don Memorial, and then some different veterans uh, charities as well. So if you are or you know someone that is in those categories, check those dates out. They would make an awesome Christmas present. They're pretty darn cool. So thank you for doing that, guys. No, thank you, Kevin. That that was awesome that you threw that in there because that's something that uh, I forget about. But we're really proud to be able to support you know, the, the men of blue, the men of red, as well as our military. And, and it's been huge. Um, we donated quite a bit of money last year. We hope to, we're hoping to donate a bunch this year and, um, it's huge, man. That that's what it's all about. So thank you for that little punch in there. It's hard for me always to toot my own horn, if you will, but, uh, definitely something that we're proud of. and, And I believe it's important. So the best way to get a hold of us is, whether it be the website at muskymayhemtackle.com or you can check us out on Facebook as well as Instagram or shoot us a phone call. But uh, love to hear from all of our customers. We love our customers and uh, definitely want to uh, hear their input. So check us out that way. I guess I can't ramble quite as long as Jeff does, but uh, with the whole backlash plus team Rhino, it gets kind of tricky there, Jeff. I don't know how you do all that that well. I think but, I should let you start handling it so I can just kick back, <laughs> to, back a little bit more and watch football on Sunday nights. Oh, that's awesome. But, uh, no, thank you, Kevin, for coming on. And, uh, hey, we got another podcast in the, uh, in the hole here. So I awesome. appreciate awesome. everything. Awesome, guys. It was a good time talking to you. Yep. Thanks for coming out, Kevin. Good night, Brad. Good night. Good night, Jethro. See you, boss.